Sorry for those who thought you was going to get a little break from Revelations. <laughs> We're going to pick up and continue on. Uh, I always try to stay well ahead. That way if something happens and I, I don't get to do my Bible studies in the morning, I'm, I'm ahead. But, uh, this, uh, this morning I actually started on chapter 21, so I've about got it lit, but you all still got ways to go before you join me. Right? <laughs> uh, well, Revelations is interesting, so I've been enjoying it. So. Well, good. I'm tickled to death. Uh, like I said, it's been a book a lot of people avoid because of the imagery, but I think it's a beautiful book and has a lot of lessons to it. Is that better, Shorty? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to turn my thing on. I said, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear oh. you now. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was not Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Sunday we wrapped up chapter 13, but we ran out of time before we could get to the application. Every time we finish it up, I try to put in there a little something other about application of what it can mean to us. And today I wanna, we're going to start off with that. Uh, and if you want to title this, I could guess you could title it Wrestling with the Beasts of Today or the Beasts of Our Time. Although uh, the monstrous reign of the Antichrist and the false prophet that took place, or depending on the view that will take place, John tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist was already in the world in uh, 1 John chapter 4 and 3 and will continue to be until Jesus' return. And Paul informs us that even though the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, had yet arrived, yet when he wrote his epistle, the, uh, he said the mystery of the lawless one was already hard at work, deceiving and destroying people even, uh, even then. And now 2 Thessalonians 2, laying the groundwork for this false church's false religion that would eventually raise its head. Uh, therefore, a study of the evil dictator and the religious lieutenant should remind us of some helpful uh, realities about the spirit of Antichrist uh, that is still at work in our world today. The first thing that it should remind us is that satanic wonders are often impressive, but they are always deceptive. People and events aren't always what they seem, whether in the political world, the intellectual world, or the religious realms. We must always be alert and discerning. Christ alone should receive our ultimate allegiance. Scripture alone should serve as our final authority in all matters of faith, life, and morality. And the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone should be the center of our lives. The second thing to keep in mind is that uh, wherever anything or anyone other than God is worshipped, Satan is pleased. He's accomplished his, mo- his mission, his, his goal. He doesn't care if you worship your possessions, your money, your job, your family, or yourself. As long as you're not worshiping God, then he's got you part of the way where he wants you. Though he will ultimately draw attention and affections of the unbeliever, unbelieving world towards his own unholy trinity during the time of tribulation as we saw. Uh, in the meantime, Satan will have uh, accomplished half his goal if he can get you to lure you away from worshiping God and having him to have your preeminence in our lives. Take this moment to examine your life. Have you, eva- <clears throat> have you valued anything else above God? Something or someone who is robbing you of, uh, robbing God of your time, your energy, and your attention? Third, even when Satan's power is at its greatest, God's power is greater still. 
Remember when a messenger of Satan tormented Paul with a thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Though Paul repeatedly called out Jesus to remove the ailment, whether it was physical or a messenger of Satan, literally, whatever it was, but Christ responded, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Yes, God sometimes allows even satanic motivated thorns to remain in our lives as a reminder of His power. These may be calamities, these may be temptations, trials, uh, things like chronic pain. Whether these are satanic attacks or the effects of living in a fallen world, our response should all be the same to them, no matter what. The trust in God, even in the midst of trial, and even in the face of satanic attack. The, uh, though he uses the same types of deceit and attacks today, as he will continue to do in the future during the tribulation period, where, whether then or now or in the future, it's, it's, it's the same. One man will become the Antichrist, and another individual will fulfill the prophecies about the false prophet. Until then, we will continue to wrestle against uh, the Antichrist, Satan, and his powers. Any questions about chapter 13? I, you're saying there that like, you're, the things that you deal with, it got me thinking, like, at our house, Across the back fence, in, on the on the opposite side of the fence, which is not my property, there are trees and bushes and vines of various sorts. And those vines have little prickly things on them, and they grow through the fence onto my side. And when I weed or when I mow, they catch it. And you know, a few times every summer, I go out there with some hedge trimmers or whatever. And I'll cut those off. And it is wonderful that first day. And then the next time you know, they're just right back there again. And I think in many ways, when we think about like thorns in the flesh or whatever our challenges are, whatever Satan's darts are hurled at us, whatever they are, they're not the same every time. And just because you cut that vine, you know, halfway across the fence, there's going to be another one that's going to show up a third of the way down from, from that. And, and we're always going to have these sort of issues. And so, you know, to, to, to extend the metaphor too far, you kind of always have to be trimming those vines back because you never know, you have to be on the lookout for them, and then you never know where they're going to be, and then you've got to kind of cut them back as you go. Uh, I don't know, that's kind of what popped into my head when I was thinking about like the challenges that we face. Yes, I agree. 100% that's great. Uh, Satan, he, yes, he's got some things he knows he's going to get. Something, and that's why we have to keep going over and over. But when we beat something else, don't expect that that's done. And it's going to come at you from a different angle, like you're saying. You never know where it vines going to, which crack in the fence it's going to come through or what it's going to look like. So, yeah. And that kind of what Daniel's saying, too. You know, the devil is an angel. We got, he has some power. We kind of, sometimes we underestimate that. Mm -hmm. And But the one thing that he don't have is he's not omnipresent. He does not God. He doesn't know our hearts and our minds. So that's one of the reasons why he throws different darts, different things at us to see what we bite on and what we take. And then once we do, then he knows it. So it's real important that we don't underestimate him. We hold close to God and not always. I think there's a verse here that says, "Don't don't speak your thoughts sometimes," or, they, or something like that. I, not that I recall, but, but something. But anyway, um, the devil knows what you're thinking and what you're 
desires are, that's what he's going to use to come after you with. You know, yeah. sometimes we underestimate it. You know. Well, Ben, were, were you saying that uh, any malady a person has, pain, you said something about pain, that's coming from the devil? No, I'm saying that could be a thorn in the flesh. That's not necessarily coming from Satan. That could be part of just living in a fallen world. You know, uh, when God created the world, He created man to live forever and environment to sustain that. But through Adam get kicked out through the flood and all these other things, the world is, you look at the lifespans, you'll see them shrink. And part of us living in the fallen world is we're going to get cancer. We're going to get colds. We're going to get coronavirus, broken bones, arthritis, and these things like that. Part of it is that. But some of it is satanic sack. Uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh. There's been a lot of speculation about that. We know that he had an eye disease. Now, what part of that was maybe it was remnants from where God put the scales over his eyes? We don't know. But when you read where it says, see with what large letters I write this letter, it's proving that it was him because he couldn't see. He couldn't see very well at all. So that's why he always had people writing letters for him. Could have been that. Uh, some other people say that it was a Jewish teacher who went around refuting everything that he said and so he always had to battle this this preacher is going against him uh some people said that it was his wife who had left him when he converted to christianity that followed him around and running him out we, we don't know whatever it was it, satan has different means of attacking us and a lot of these things are messengers satan are just put there to torment us to tempt us to try to get us to sin to try to get us to lose our patience or or whatnot and the challenge, I think, is how we respond to it. Because truthfully, like, you know, a, a sore throat or a cold is not really that big of a deal long term. But, you know, all of a sudden we're losing our patience. I've been sick for six months. I can't, you know, and I'm, you know, it's, there's, you know, those are minor things. And sometimes the minor things can sort of cause us to maybe blow up or to act the way we wouldn't act or say something we wouldn't say or something like that. And, I mean, I think we all probably have trouble with that from time to time. A lot of people accuse older people of being grouchy a lot of times. And when you get older, you find out why. You start fighting arthritis every day in your hands and your joints and dealing with pain every day and all these things. And it does take some of your joy away if you're not careful. We have to continue to keep that battle and not let it and face, it, face it in a good Christian way. Uh, any other comments before we move on to chapter 14? Uh, all right, so we'll go on to chapter 14. As the curtain closed on the previous act of the tribulation drama in Revelation 13, the situation looked bleak. The, uh, the evil Antichrist and his fiendish false prophet had taken the center stage, trampling God's holy ones underfoot and putting countless saints to the sword, according to verses 11 through 13. The only way of people to save their lives, it seems, uh, and the lives of their family was to fall prostrate before the satanic false messiah, this false religion, to reject the Antichrist and this false religion, this mark of allegiance was uh, was open invitation to have your life either snuffed out or be persecuted or run out of the country. But as the house light started to dim on this, as the curtain started to fall on this apocalyptic saga, the tide turns decisively. Instead of darkness and gloom, divine brilliance blazes on the stage. The brutal beast and his uh, deceptive lieutenant have been cleared from the scene. In their stead, we see the glorious Lamb standing on Mount Zion with his elect saints. The long-expected hero has finally set his foot on earth, and he, uh, 
And at his arrival, the wicked kingdom of the world began to scramble and flee. If you had to title this next section, you could title it uh, this fourth episode of the book of Revelations, Vengeance of the Glorious, uh, Glorious Deliverer. Uh, it begins with a preview of coming events. The blasphemous exploits of the two beasts uh, give way to a series of visions that predict the final gathering of earth for deliverance and harvesting of earth, which, like I said, all along my interpretation is earth being Rome and the false church uh, Babylon for judgment. Uh, so with that, uh, it's kind of giving us a little picture. Uh, Y'all been to the movies and seen coming attractions coming soon? Uh, to, to, meant to grab people's attention, and this is this is kind of doing the same thing here. Uh, meant to give you a little teaser of what's coming, and uh, and it never disappoints. The other other ones have disappointed. I've been seen the movies and seen the the little trailers, and you say, "Oh, that's going to be great." Then you got there and you find out the whole best scene of the entire movie was put in this one little trailer, and there's nothing else worth seeing in that movie. But other times they're great. Uh, I don't know if anybody's Star Wars fan. But in this uh, last episode of Star Wars that was put out there, the little trailer for it was sometimes nothing but Emperor Palpatine's laps. And of course, all the old people knew, hey, that, you know, that's coming back, so that brought everybody in groves. And uh, Revelations is no different. It never disappoints. Ben, is chapter 14 kind of where the Jehovah's Witnesses get there's 144,000 Yes. Yes. And it's in several other places. You see, you see 144,000 a lot in the Bible. But like I said, it's just a symbolic number. Right. It's not an exact thing. I'm just kind of curious if this is where they kind of took it. Maybe. There's this and three other passages that I can think of offhand where it's mentioned. Uh, so yes, this is 100% where they get that. And basically they get it from 12 tribes. or So many thousand from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then 12 for the... So that's where they come up with it. But we'll go ahead and read uh, chapter 14 and then we'll come back and kind of pick it apart a little bit. Then I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion. And with him 144,000 having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of the many waters and like the sound of loud thunder and the voice of which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with the woman, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouths, they are blameless. And I saw another angel flying in midheaven, having the eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and springs of water. And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who was made who made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also must drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels 
and in the presence of the man. And smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night, nor night those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their father, uh, faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Why, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which was in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who had power over fire, came from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had set, who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster for the earth, for the vine of the earth, because of her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the cluster from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and the blood came out from the winepress up to a horse's bridle and up to a distance of 200 miles. Alright, so now we're going to kind of go back to the beginning and then we'll kind of pick some of the verses apart. And if I don't bring something out or if you have a question again, feel free to... Step right on up, ask him, and speak away. Uh, and it starts out and says, And looked, I behold. Uh, this means he now he's got another separate vision. Uh, we see the same language in Ezekiel 10 and Daniel, uh, Ezekiel 10 and 44 and Daniel 5. So here he's saying, Okay, we've got a little break. Here's a little something else. I'm being shown another vision here. And it says, The Lamb of God stood on Mount Zion. Uh, in chapter 13, a false lamb of God had been seen, but this one is the, uh, and that one had a voice like a dragon. Here, in contrast to seeing the lamb of God, the same that we saw in chapter 5, taking the book with the seven seals on it uh, from God. Uh, Mount Zion, uh, here and in Hebrews 12, 22, are the only places in the New Testament where this expression occurs. Uh, it's equivalent to the same Jerusalem above as we saw in Galatians. Uh, 4 in Hebrews 12. Mount Zion, that is the, the city of the great king, the seat of the worship of God in Jerusalem, was a type and is used as a symbol here uh, as a true church. So whenever it says Mount Zion, it's talking about the true church. In Hebrews 12, 22, it says, The saints who have entered the, into the covenant of Christ are said to have, have come, not to the mount that could not be touched, but to the Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It is here that it is there used for the church of the saints, and such is the meaning in this passage as well, as I think, too. Uh, again, it talks about the 144,000 that we've talked about uh, repeatedly, the same with the uh, three and a half years we see that kind of referring theme over and over again. Uh, and then it talks about the, some of the qualities of the 144,000. It says uh, the women, the virgins, that is uh, 2 Corinthians 11-2 and Hosea 2-1-9, that, that are free from idolatry. They have not worshipped the world, the Satan. They have not worshipped this false religion. 
They're pure. They're chaste. It says they follow Jesus no matter where He leads, no matter the cost. They're not ashamed of their God. Uh, when faced with the you know, decree of worship this false prophet, they say no, they stay with God. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes, no matter what the cost. Uh, it says they're purchased from the world to save one. So these are the saints, the one who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. There are no lies found in their mouth. Uh, you see in the, the traits we got talked about last week, uh, I guess it was Sunday night or Sunday that talked about the lies, the, the seven things that God hates that Rory talked about. And lies was right up there with him. And, and throughout the Bible you see that theme, God hates a liar. He hates dishonesty in any form, so we should take it very seriously as well. Uh, blameless, that is, not that they've never sinned, not that they're perfect or, or holier than anybody else. It's just that when they sin, they take care of their sin. They confess it, they repent of it, uh, they make amends when they're wrong, and they bear fruit to repentance. Again, repentance is not just saying, okay, God, I'm sorry, I messed up, I'm sorry. Bear fruits of repentance, as John the Baptist said. Show me that you're sorry. Do some work to actually change this attitude, to change this mindset. Uh, it says that written on their foreheads, uh, I think the King James uh, has it read another way, but uh, written on the foreheads was the name of the Lamb, in the name of the Father, both were written on their foreheads. Uh, this is the seal on their heads. While a great many uh, cultures have little marks on people's foreheads, uh, both permanent and temporary, this mark that they're talking about here is symbolic, meaning that those who openly profess, practice, and obey God, uh, those who keep, and, uh, keep His Word and study and meditate upon it, uh, once again, as before, we see a new worship song being written. And no one, it says, but the true worshipers of God could understand it, learn it, uh, to worship God with. And you see this a lot. Uh, if the average person who doesn't believe in God picks up the Bible and starts to read it, it makes no sense to them. To them, it's, it's either gibberish and they get tired of it or they just, they just don't see the point in it. But to a worshiper who picks up the Bible, it's a beautiful, beautiful love letter. And it's the same way as what they're saying with this song. The rest of the world, it would have no meaning to, but to us, it would be a beautiful, beautiful melody. I studied with my mom's sister, my, her, her, my aunt, and they kind of look at this, if I'm not mistaken, when the thousand-year reign happens, that that's how it's going to be stigmatized the believers and the non-believers, if I'm not mistaken, if I understood her explaining that, how she, how they view that. Oh, okay. Which is interesting, I don't understand it, but that's kind of what she's explaining. That's the people that have seen the new song stuff, kind of the people that make it through the thousand year reign, I guess. It's a possibility, like I said, what I'm putting forth here is, is not, not no by means any, uh, every explanation, or like I said, there's lots of explanations out there, and I'm just, I'm just putting out a few and giving my opinion, which isn't worth much, but. <laughs> This is just, this is just my take on it. And uh, see, verse 4. Ones who are free from idolatry, uh, spirit, spiritual adultery. God says, uh, for I am a jealous for you with a godly jealous because I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So we need to make sure that we're worshiping God and God alone. God will not tolerate adultery. 
then if you watch like the sports news or something like that in uh, early like football practice before the season starts, you'll see players with helmets and they'll have tape across the front, like up here, and it'll say the last name. And the reason is, is because you've got a lot more players at the tryout than you do, and so you don't really know who they are. And so if I'm looking, you know, everybody looks the same with a helmet, shirt, whatever, but if I'm the coach and I'm looking at you and I see Price across the front, I know who you are. And if I see Hopkins across the next one, I know who that person is. And I think about that sort of makes me think, like, when you, when you read here, I think God is aware of who we are. You know, but that, you know, I, I don't know, I, I think we can get too deep in the weeds in a lot of this, but I do think that this notion of these ones that have not been defiled, I, mean, I would hope that's the church. I would hope that we are the church, and I, and I would be, you know, presumptuous to think that God wouldn't know us, or maybe would, I don't know, but like, the idea, you know, the, the, the name of us, you know, I, I don't... I think if I have to go to heaven and wear a name tag, it's fine. I would be, you know, I'd rather have a name tag than not be there, you know, at all. And, and I think that these characteristics that are shown here, especially in verse 4 there, are people that have strived, you know, people of the church that have strived to do what was right, you know, that have worked along to do what was best. And they're, in, in a sense, accounted for uh, right here. They're the ones that are uh, not defiled in verse 4. Uh, that are uh, no deceit in verse 5, without fault uh, in verse 5. And, and none of us are any of those things without the blood of Jesus. But then that blood of Jesus is what gets us into the church. You know, it gets us into the kingdom. It's what gets us into heaven. And so that blood can cover that up and, and God can see who belongs and by default who does. I think the names on the floor going back to that, I think that's more for us. So that people on earth were evident who God's followers are from the one that worshiped the beast that, that were his image on their forehead. Uh, when we study the book of Revelations, we see all these different things. That way we, the readers, can identify, okay, well, I know which way he's going. I know which way this one's going. I know I can trust him or listen to him. I, I believe, like you said, when God knows. He knows every hair on her head. He knows who's in this. But I, I believe that's what it's for. It's for, for us. Uh, verse 6 uh, said, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having eternal gospel to preach to those who live on earth and to every nation and every tribe, tongue, and people. Uh, mid-heaven, that would be uh, uh, sky or uh, atmosphere rather, spreading the gospel to all the earth, not just areas where Rome had influence, but all the earth. The first angel now was free to spread the gospel because the second angel has proclaimed the great Babylon, the false church, the evil empire that had hindered its spread before has fallen due to judgment and God has brought about against it. Uh, has been swept aside and influenced the ministry greatly again, either referring to uh, Rome or possibly the, this false religion that we looked at previously, the, that of the Latin church. Uh, verses 7 and 8, uh, says, And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him the glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and earth, the seas, and the springs of water. 
Fear God, give, uh, give God glory because He is awesome. Uh, might is there, can be no uh, doubt that if it was He who brought this judgment upon uh, the great kingdom and brought it to nothing. That's why God is so specific in His prophecies. Uh, people reading the, this in John's time wouldn't understand it. But us going back looking on this now, we see the history, how the colors of the uniform matched up exactly to the book of Revelation. How this city was destroyed exactly like the book of Revelation said it would be. How Rome was broke up into parts just like the Revelation. A third of the Navy, I mean, think about it. He got exactly, I mean, a third of the Navy, a third of the rivers. He got it exactly right. And that's why, so that he would get the glory and honor and the praise that way, when it happened, there could be no mistake. Oh, this wasn't just, you know, Rome falling in on itself. No, this was God's hand directly against this world power. This was God's dealing exactly. He makes it with these images and stuff enough so that Satan and the enemies and the forces of evil can't know what's coming exactly, but clear enough so that we know to be watching out for it and so we can look back on history and increase our own faith. Because look, look, yes, God did keep his promise. Uh, ben, yes. Uh, who wrote this book? John, the Apostle John. Okay. Uh, he was brought up to the story. The story goes, I think, Fox Books of Martyrs. He was the last of, or one of the last apostles at the time. He was brought up on a stage above a huge boiling vat of oil. And he was told to either renounce Christ or they was going to push him in. And he says, I, I cannot deny God. So they pushed him in. But just like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, nothing happened to him. No harm to him at all. So the emperor picks him up, sends him off to Patmos, whether it's fear of this, the miracle that he's just seen or from prayer, people seeing it and spreading the gospel. But he says, let's get this man out of here. So they exiled him. Right. And the island of Patmos is where Jesus gave him these visions. And then he later on when he got out of Patmos, he went ahead and broke these uh, broke these letters of what he had seen there. Okay, so these were visions that God gave to John. Yes, the Apostle John. For him to write. Yes. It's just, you know, it's so hard to understand. It makes you it makes me wonder, you know, why was it presented in this way when it's so hard to understand? Well, two, like I said, you got to put yourself in John's shoes. Here you got a guy back in 60, 70, 80, 90 BC trying to describe imagery of cannons, of horses and gun smoke and things and these big giant vessels he's never seen and trying to put that into words to where everybody could understand it. And also, like I said, God keeps it vague enough so that the enemy cannot use it. Because if the enemy knew what the prophecy is about Jesus Christ and dying upon the cross and crucifying, there's no way in the world that Satan would have got the high priest and all them to bring these charges against Jesus because he would have been right to his own doom. So God makes them vague enough for that, but, but plain enough so that we can see uh, after I do think, though, sometimes we confuse causation and correlation with things in Revelation. Like, I think sometimes we look at things in the back from back, from forward looking backwards, and we try to plug things in to help sort of make sense. Think about like if you have, uh, you have a car wreck or something like that, and you look back and think, well, you know, I, I heard that, you know, I heard that clicking in the engine a couple weeks ago, and I didn't do anything about it or whatever. And then my time, you know, this, this or that. I, I think, do you think that 
we sometimes maybe overemphasize what things mean to try and make sense to us. That it maybe is not, these things are not necessarily causation, but we try to correlate what happened with what we think should have happened. Does that make sense? Yes, and I think that's why there's been such a mystery placed on the Revelation because so many people have tried to do that by making things fit in that really don't belong. Because like I said, the Bible's best interpreter is the Bible. So most of these things that we look at Revelation, you can go back in other writings and, and see and kind of bring that forward. But when you start trying to fit, you know, all this other stuff in there, you're trying to make a nuclear war fit in there or, you know, or... Jesus coming and reigning here on earth and then he takes back off and everything. You try to make all these things fit in there, then, then yes, 100%, then you can, you can kind of mess it up. That's, that's what happened with the book of Revelation, I think. Uh, we kind of stated already, too, if I'm not mistaken, did some of the visions John see, God said, don't tell these? Yes. There was one, uh, one in there when he heard the voices of the thunders, the peals of thunders in there. He started to write it down and God said, do not write these down. It's, it's not for man to know. And again, God says, the revealed things belong to us, but the secret things belong to him. So whatever this was, God says, we don't need to know it. And that, that's fine with me. I trust, trust him and he's going to... Too much thing, too much information can be a bad thing. <laughs> uh, see, verses 9 and 10. Hey, Ben. Yes. I got to say this. This doesn't really add too much, but I love verse 8 in the course naturally of King James which says, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. I, I love the uh, alliteration of that. It, it shows the sadness of it. It shows the seriousness of it. It shows the severity of it. Uh, it's just a, it's just a heartbreaking picture. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Yeah. It just further emphasizes to me how serious this whole thing was. And I think too, it shows a little bit of God's heart too. Uh, yeah. Even though this is God's yeah. enemy, so to speak, the ones who've been fighting against Him, God takes no joy it's, it's in sin. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, see, verses 9 and 10. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also must drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. If anyone gives in and commits idolatry, obeys, obeys Babylon, her lust, Trust in her, puts his or her God, uh, puts him or her, puts them before God, then they will join in the same punishment. Uh, God's not going to let one off and, and punish another. So we've got to make sure. That's why the Revelation, you know, kept saying repeatedly, "He that has an ear, let him hear. Pay attention, listen up. Don't fall for these same things. Be on guard." Uh, verse 12, here is the payoff for all those who have held on to God through all these persecutions, he says. Uh, the perseverance of the faith. Uh, we see uh, varying degrees of, in chapter verse 13, I think again, we see, you know, people often ask about the varying degrees of reward and stuff, and I believe chapter 13 kind of reinforces that. It said, I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the land from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds. Follow, follow with them. Uh, so, again, we're going to all get to heaven. No one's going to get, you know, 
but we're all going to have very different crowns and different jewels in their crowns. What that's going to look like, I don't know. I don't care. I'm just going to get there. I don't care what I've got. If I got a ten-gallon hat or, or a little tear, hey, I'm going to go. That verse 13 is was hotly debated by the people at the time. You know that there was, you know, the early church and said they sold everything and dwelled together in part because there was, you know, there was an expectation that the end of the world was coming by the end of the week. But there was also the heavily debated question of what about people who have died before Jesus? Like that was a hotly contested, you know, issue. And I think that there was some comfort here in verse 13. Those who died, blessed are those who died in the Lord from now on. And, and I think sometimes we want to, you were saying this earlier, we do want to look back and <coughs> question this or that. But there's a level of comfort here going forward, that especially coming off of those first couple of verses, verse 8, verse 9, all that, which it said, you know, if you fall away, you know, do this or do that, you know, here's here's what your punishment is. But then it ends in verse 13 with, but here's what your reward is. If you die in the Lord, then all of your labors and works will follow them with it. So there's encouragement to sort of go on and move forward to do the best that you can. And the Lord gets forward, and that's it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, in verses 14 through 20, we see the destruction of Rome is done. And harvest time is at hand, the Bible says. Uh, the golden crown, the victor crown, Rome, the enemy, has defeated, uh, conquered completely. Thrust your sickle in, uh, execute judgment as God has decreed. The harvest is ripe, that is, their iniquity is full. Uh, God never punishes prematurely. Whenever one of the children in the promised land, he says, you know, not yet because their iniquity is not filled up. You see it in other places too. Sodom and Gomorrah, their iniquity hadn't been filled up till the day that God judged them. And it's the same here. God will always give as much chance and as much leeway as He can. But there's going to come a time where that iniquity is to the full. God says, okay, no more. I'm not going to take it anymore. And the long-suffering of God is fixing to run out. Yes. And, and Rome's had, and now God is executing His judgment. Uh, the great rhyme press of uh, God's wrath that is executed on the works of iniquity uh, and the perverters of the gospel. Verse 20, uh, And the wine press was trodden out outside the city, and blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. Uh, so I think the King James says 1,600 furlongs. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, interesting thing here, uh, the property owned by the Latin church, the church of St. Peter in Rome. Their property extended from Rome to the Po River. Anyone want to guess what the distance is from that? <laughs> exactly. 200 miles or 200 Italian miles or 1,600 furlongs. So again, you see, you see the imagery just, just be, uh, meeting up perfectly. Any uh, questions on that before we kind of look at the application or other comments on it? I know uh, we started off kind of slow, these books. Uh, we spent a lot of time in it, but now they're kind of going pretty fast. So, But uh, I think they're still very much interested. Uh, you've heard that song, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. That's what 14 tells us. Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. Uh, the saints are saved, sealed, and sanctified, and sent ahead. Uh, the description of the 144,000 in Revelation 14, 1 through 5 
She convict all of us who claim to be followers of Christ. Look again at this uh, stunning description of those faithful saints. They are sexually chaste. That is, they're free from adultery, spiritual and physical. They follow the Lamb without hesitation, follow His example, obey His commands. They have no lies on their lips. They are blameless. Not never sin, but they do their best to uphold and live by God's Word. And when they sin, immediately repent and seek forgiveness. Not just ask to be forgiven, but repent and bear fruits of repentance. That is, to mourn for their sins. We can summarize it like this. In their relationship to others, they are pure. In their relationships with God, they are obedient. Uh, surrounded uh, by deception, they are, exhibit remarkable integrity. They have unimpeachable character, which results in a good reputation from God, a clean record. They are a living example of their peers, displaying proof of the gospel by their very lives. You know, if you want to go and give witness to what God has done in your life, if you're still living a life that's like the rest of the world, what kind of witness do you really have? Uh, the same kind of person uh, has a compelling testimony who... This same kind of person has a compelling testimony. If you, are, uh, if you and I are corrupt like those around us, we have no credible message to give to the world. If our mouths are filled with lies, the world won't believe us when we claim the gospel is true. If we're known for our moral failures, for our sins, nobody will listen when we claim to be followers of the one true God. As believers in Christ, we know we are sent into the world to preach the gospel. I think everybody here can probably quote the Great Commission by heart. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Yet we too often forget that having a right manner of life is just as important as having the right message in our lives. Jesus himself said, You are the lights. Shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5 and 16. Disciple Peter remembered his master's words when he wrote, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good, honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when, the judges, when he judges the world. Take some time for self-examination and answer, uh, honestly, answer these questions honestly. Is your lifestyle an unspoken testimony of God's grace? Ponder these penetrating and very personal questions quietly before the Lord. Do you keep yourself pure and above reproach in your relationship with others, especially those of opposite sex, or do you compromise, blurring the lines between appropriate and inappropriate behaviors and questionable speech? Do you practice immediate obedience to the statements of the Scripture, or do you delay, rationalize, and pick and choose what to obey and what to let slide? Do you measure your speech against the standards of absolute truth of the Bible? Or do you serve up lies with half-truths and deceptions and quibbles? Do you cultivate a blameless lifestyle that remains the same in a private as it is in public? Or would people who know you, know you best testify to a double standard in hypocrisy? Are you hiding secret sins? I've got uh, several pieces of paper taped around my desk and on my office door. And this is one, I've shared it here before, and uh, I'd like to share it with you again. It's a quote from Edgar Guest. Uh, 
It says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell me the way. The eyes are better people and more willing than an ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers that are the men who live their, their creeds, for to see God put in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn to do it if you will let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act, how you live. When I see a deed, in, when I see a deed of darkness, I'm eager to be kind. When, I weak, when a weaker brother stumbles, a strong, hand, a strong man stays behind just to see if he can help him. Then the wife, then wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. And as I travel, and all travelers can witness the best of God's way today, it's none the one who tells them, but the one who shows the way. One good man teaches many. Men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness noticed is worth 40 that are told. Who stands with men of honor learns to hold honor dear, for right living speaks a language which is to everyone clear. Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. You see, God's most effective witness, witnessing tool to win people over to the gospel are those who are not saved, or those who are not only saved and sealed, but those who are walking in the light, set apart by God, willing and available to be sent as lights into the dark, corrupt world. And it contrasts one of the Satan's greatest tools to keep people out of the church and from finding God is people who claim to be Christians and don't live like ones. These are the great many profess to be Christians, but send people to hell by their bad behaviors and the words each day. And I'd like everyone to think about that, consider these things. And if maybe perhaps you've not lived yourself, not conducted yourself in the way you should be, not given a proper example, and you need to make that right, or need any way at all that we can help you, we invite you to please come forward at this name. What will you do with Jesus?
to the red license class, that's very interesting. I, I've heard a lot of it, and the classes I've always heard was a big debate when it was written. If it was written this year or that year, whichever year it was written in, then this means this. If it was written this year, it means that. And that confused me more than anything. So yours has been very enlightening. Daniel, thanks for having me on that song. <laughs> it was not the one I thought. So I had something else told me about it. But it's good to see everybody out. I heard it rained really hard just a few minutes ago. Be careful going home. I know y'all don't want to hear this, but the road might be slipped out. <laughs> so be careful if you're out about tomorrow. Uh, it's good to see everybody out. I am excited about a new job because I'm going to be home every day and I'm looking forward to being here more with you all. So that's a good thing too. So I'm excited about that. Anything needs to be made mention of before we're dismissed? If not, We'll have our closing prayer. Who's that? Uh, Kelly, you want to do it? Go ahead, Kelly.